It's September 15th, 2023. Yes, it's a different voice. It's Brett. Steve has got projects to be done, and so he cannot join us at the roundtable this morning. Uh, with me, we've uh, actually got a full roundtable. We'll get into that in just a minute. I uh, wanted to let you know that, uh, you know, Common Sense Ohio, it's brought to you by Harper Plus Accounting. Don't forget, actually, Harper Plus Accounting also has a podcast to listen to. It's called Empowering Entrepreneurs Podcast. Glenn Harper and uh, uh, Julie Smith co-host that podcast. Really, really good. And I'm not just saying that because I help them produce it. It's a really good podcast. So empowering podcast, but also want to thank Harper Plus Accounting for uh, sponsoring Common Sense Ohio. At the table today, of course, we have Norm and our guest today, Kelly Jones Swenson and Stephen Walter. And I'm going to let Norm kind of set the stage why they're here. Uh, we're kind of tying into Patriot Week, we're going to call that. And um, again, Norm, let's talk about why we got him here. Sure. Um, back in, I guess it was about 2004, I went to the funeral of a uh, a fallen Marine. He was a, um, a marksman. Uh, not sure he was a sniper exactly, but he was infantry and he was killed by an IED in Fallujah. And, uh, he had gone to the high, to the, excuse me, the grade school uh, that my children attended St. Matthew's and both, uh, children were still there and, um, went to the funeral out of respect for this young man, he had gone to that grade school, went went to DeSales High School, and his name was uh, Ryan Miller. There's a section of I-270 through Gahanna that is named in his honor. And I've gone on motorcycle rides and things to the um, memorial up there in Sunbury um, uh, to the, you know, fallen uh, in the war on terror, as it's, as it's referred to. And... When I recall when Lima Company um, went and came back home, and how how tragic and how horrible the loss of life was, I could not bring myself uh, after that experience of Ryan's. I could selfishly could not bring myself to uh, welcome Lima back because I I was left in pieces by that funeral experience over at St. Matthew's. It was the most moving experience I'd ever had in my life, um, at any kind of a funeral. And, uh, when they, they asked all the Marines, um, active duty or retired or, you know, uh, veterans, anybody who was a Marine, they asked them at the end before they carried the body, the casket out, um, to stand. And they gave that, uh, I'll never get it right. The army says it one way, the Marines, but they gave that whoa, mm. you know, kind of, uh, and, and, and the church reverberated mm. with just, a, just three or four dozen, uh, Marines of various ages, you know, veterans and, and active duty that were Ryan's friends. And I'll tell you what, mm. man, it, uh, you're making me move right now. Oh, just thinking of that. And then the little wow. kids out there lining, the road in front of the church with their flags. And I just said, wow, you know, they're bringing back 14. Well, they're, they're coming back less 14 lives. And, um, I just, you know, I could, well, less uh, 24 lives in total, yeah. but uh, 14 on uh, a particular uh, group. So I, um, I thought, 
on the 22nd anniversary of 9-11, which was Monday, that, um, you know, what are we doing in Ohio? I keep thinking, I wrote my blog, I keep thinking that people are forgetting about the war on terror. They're forgetting about 9-11. You know, there's a whole generation that wasn't even born yet that are now young adults, right, who are 22 years old, you know. Mm -hmm. For them, it's it's like maybe Pearl Harbor or something. It's distant. It's it's you know. So I thought I need to get a hold of the Lima Company people, and I didn't know who to talk to or who to reach out to. So I started scouting around, and I found Kelly's organization uh, on the internet. Reached out to her. She referenced uh, Stephen here, who's a a retired uh, Columbus police officer. Uh, of many years, uh, something like what Stephen, like 34 years of that, and uh, it joined the Marines um, in 1985 after a stint with the Air Force and obviously being a police officer. So he was with the Marines for, you know, uh, decades, and he, he uh, helped train Lima Company. So she put me together with Stephen, and uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. People need to remember this. They need to be reminded. I need. I need that. I'm not saying that as a criticism. We need to hold these people in our hearts. We need to. We need to memorialize them, and we need to learn lessons from it. You know, hard lessons. Right. So true. True. That okay. was my impetus, and uh, I'm so glad I did because I've met two wonderful new friends as a result. Excellent. If nothing excellent. else, that's a victory, right? Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So let's dive into. It. Why don't you go ahead and introduce them? And, and yes. you know, and then so Kelly Jones, Kelly Jones Swenson is, uh, I believe, uh, executive director now of uh, the Eyes of Freedom Memorial um, organization, uh, which you can find on the internet. There's uh, lots of uh, videos and testimonials, and you can read a lot on the website. Um, and they tour. Uh, I'm going to have Kelly talk about it, but sure. but she's the executive director of, if you will, Lima Company's memorial uh, organization, and uh, she's a United States Army veteran herself of 10 years, uh, retired as a sergeant, um, and uh, and then Stephen uh, has the most <laughs> remarkable career of I I just can't imagine being in the cauldron of being a police officer for all those years. And then also being a United States Marine Master Sergeant. And uh, I mean, uh, two of the toughest things you could do in life <laughs> in one human being. And now he, he does uh, volunteer teaching, history teaching. So Stephen's quite the man. Uh, and uh, I hear within the Columbus Police Department ranks, they still think he's the greatest of all time. So, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's over here not blushing because no, no, he's no. pretty tough. He's, he's probably heard a few th- bad things about him, too, which uh, I don't know what those could possibly be. But, you know, uh, so, Kelly, uh, I think without yeah. further ado, how about how about you uh, lead us into your organization and uh, speak about the events of Lima Company and. And, uh, and then we'll go to Stephen. Absolutely, absolutely. First of all, I want to thank you, Norm, for reaching out to Eyes of Freedom and um, allowing us to come on and, and speak with your audience. Uh, for me personally, I've been with the organization about six months, um, and it is just an incredible, incredible privilege and honor as a veteran myself 
to be able to travel all over the country um, teaching, uh, you know, individuals, groups, uh, being at festivals, uh, colleges, um, and just sharing with them with the stories of Lima Company, uh, you know, I'll be on service, sacrifice, and what that means. Um, but I've, like I said, I've, I've been with the organization about six months now. Uh, been to 10, 12 events, kind of got thrown into it pretty quickly. And I'll tell you, I meet the best of the 1% out there. Um, and Master Sergeant Walters is one of them. And like many uh, military veterans, specifically Army veterans, when things get really tough, we do call the Marines. So so I called Master Sergeant Walters to join me in this this uh, education today of your audience. The Lima Company Memorial, it was never intended to be a traveling exhibit. Um, as, as you mentioned, it was born out of the tragedies that happened between May of 2005 and August of 2005, when Columbus, Ohio, lost the 22 Marines and one Navy corpsman from uh, Lima Company. And Master Sergeant Walters will kind of speak more to the actual events that happened during that time. But we had an artist in our community. Uh, her name is Anita Miller. Uh, she's absolutely an incredible lady. And uh, she had a, had a vision. Uh, and it began with the Columbus Dispatch on the front page the very next morning there were those 11 fallen all across the front page of the Columbus Dispatch. And she just thought, you know, I got to do something. I got to do something for the community, for the Gold Star families. And she had a vision um, to create a memorial, um, some paintings that could be uh, displayed in the uh, rotunda of the State House, where the communities and the Gold Star families can come and, and provide support and grieve and and get through this horrible tragedy. So uh, it took her two and a half years to create eight-foot paintings, um, oil paintings, um, and that's exactly what she did. And we actually have a, a gentleman on our team who documented that whole two and a half years mm -hmm. of those paintings and working with the Gold Star families. And Master Sergeant Walters was was um, Walter was instrumental in that and in helping Anita work with the Gold Star families. So, getting pictures, uh, learning more about them. So those paintings, two and a half years into it, they debuted at the State House, and thousands of thousands of people came through to see that exhibit. And once it was over, they were packing up. They thought, you know, this is bigger than Columbus, Ohio. Uh, then they went on the road. And by the grace of God, we got R&L carriers out of Wilmington, Ohio, came to the table and said, hey, let us be your transportation provider. Wow. Wow. And uh, nice. they have been absolutely, we we couldn't do it without them. They just, um, they've made it happen for us. That's incredible. And so it's been on the road ever since. Yeah, because so, that's expensive. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, absolutely. That is, that's a that's a huge cost. Yeah. So, is it a combination of you setting up locations and people calling you saying we want it, you here, it's, or, or, or it's probably more we want you here? Yeah. So, well, just for a couple yeah. just since I've been on on board with Eyes of Freedom, uh, my first event was actually in Marietta, Ohio, and uh, they have seen so many uh, veteran suicide in that community that they collectively got together and said. You know, we want to put a silent battle, which we kind of we really haven't spoke to that. But in addition to the paintings that are that we travel with, we have a sculpture, a life-size sculpt, bronze sculpture of a a 
fallen, well, fallen is in just a broken uh, Marine. Actually, he's uh, an Army veteran um, that is holding a dog tag of all his fallen military brothers and sisters. Very powerful. Uh, but it speaks to PTS, PTSD, survivor's guilt, and um, that travels with us. That that came into uh, the exhibit around 2017 and has been traveling since then. Was Anita uh, the... Yes, and actually Anita was the sculpture. And that in it is another story in itself that has been uh, really changed our mission a little bit. Or it's actually, it's complemented the mission, uh, honestly. But they put in a... Gold Star at the, in their Gold Star Park in Marietta, Ohio, they put in a life-size silent battle. Wow! And because of all of the veteran suicides were there, and that was my first event. And uh, someone from the Gary Sinise Foundation uh, was at that event. Is from uh, Marietta, Ohio, and it's uh, been quite the journey ever since that debut of that silent battle. We've now done four events with the Gary Sinise Foundation. And you talk about a, a, a veteran organization that's going just above and beyond support, not only just the veteran community, uh, but also now first responders, um, fire, police. But, yeah, we uh, have Silent Battle, and um, we've been out to schools who've hosted us, uh, colleges uh, with veteran service organizations will call us and say, hey, you know, we want to do something uh, for our college to kind of support the veterans that we have here attending classes. Uh, we go to fairs, festivals. Um, the VFW, the the state of New Jersey, the VFW, they had their annual conference at the boardwalk in Wildwood, New Jersey. They brought us there and put us on the boardwalk, same time as the country music festival. So that's another example of some some powerful events that we've, the, we've partnered with. The... Um people that made up the 185 um, people, uh, men and women of Lima Company. If I understand this correctly, uh, I'm, I'm, read, I'm about halfway through a book about uh, Lima Company, about the, 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 it's essentially a diary by one of the uh, Marines. But um, even though, I guess the bulk, Stephen will probably know exactly, but <laughs> the, the bulk maybe came from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Your your traveling exhibit is 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 highly appropriate because Lima Company had people from all over the place uh, Montana, yep. New Mexico, Pennsylvania. I I don't know all the states, but I could see that you know even though it sounds like a Columbus story, an Ohio story, mm-hmm. you know Cincinnati, Columbus, whatever, uh, where maybe the bulk of the uh, reservists were from, uh, but they were from a lot of other places too. Yeah, yeah they were. In fact, you know, um, that's one of my goals for the organization. I mean, we've been to 365 events. Uh, our last event in Franklin, Tennessee, actually was that 365th event. Wow. Um, and we've been to 33 states. Uh, but one one of my goals for the organization, one of three, these are my three big goals I got to share with you, um, <laughs> is to get it to all the hometowns of our fallen. It's not been to all of them. And I just, for for me personally, it's kind of, I just feel like that's something I need to do. And and one of those is- That's a great mission. Yeah, Yeah. Anchorage, Alaska is one of them. That would be great. Uh, One of our fallen Frazier is from Alaska. Wow. So yeah, so that's one of of my goals. 
Um, the other fantastic. the other goals is to raise enough funds to be able to to take it to areas and communities that don't have the financial means to do so. So Kelly, one of the things that has been I hate to hog the mic, I'm sorry, but but one of the things about the name of the organization, Eyes of Freedom, is it that is such a I mean, you you know, you would couple the word freedom with a lot of other things. Eyes of freedom. It, it, now I realize that predates your involvement. But do you know the story behind why it's called Eyes of Freedom? It, once you see the paintings, I think it's, you know. Okay. You just know when you look at those paintings and you see their eyes looking back at you. I uh, see. The paintings. It, mm-hmm. It's the paintings. Themselves. Yep. Okay. Yep. okay. And, uh, and they're life size uh, almost. Yes. Eight foot. Uh, <laughs> eight I, foot I've, by six foot. Yes. It's it, uh, uh, the trailer that. that Travels is uh, is forty two foot, so with with everything and uh, they're wow. quite heavy, so I have to stay in shape. They are. <laughs> I I have to say, even though I haven't seen the paintings yet in person, but I've seen uh, on your website photographs of, the, of each of the fallen with where they are in the paintings. Anita, it's a remarkable, it's unbelievable job. The paintings look more like the person than the pictures, than yeah. the photographs. She she really captured what these men really look like. It's it, it's 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 almost photorealistic. Her, yeah. her technique, you know, it is for sure. And in addition to the paintings on the exhibits, is we have the boots from the fallen, with the exception of one pair. Uh, that we weren't able to. You mean the actual? Uh, they're actual boots. Some of them mm. still have sand in them. Yeah. Wow. And mm. some of the personal effects that came back in their foot lockers. Mm. Um, but the one pair that we weren't able to get, um, we had another Marine from Lima Comedy donated his pair to the exhibit. Wow. Um, we have an outdoor exhibit that has boots also that travels. Um, those are just you know boots from, from Marines, but not the Lima Company and the Fallen. Incredible. Mm. So we also have a, a letter um, that's published on the display as one of only a couple things that we actually have other than the boots. And that's from a Gold Star mom, Jody Davids. Uh, and it was the letter that was in the footlocker to her that came home from her son. And uh, it, it's it's pretty heavy. The last uh, thing he ri- had written his family. Yes, his, yep, mm. his mom. And... Uh, so when I have school groups and, you know, I, I bring the kids up and, and I have, you know, volunteer read that letter. You know, they're all 17, 18 years old, you know, uh, coming out of school. Uh, most of the our fall and the average age was 20 years old. And they joined, you know, because of what happened at 9-11. So I think it's important that they read those letters. Yeah, that's, the, I mentioned Ryan Miller. Uh, so he was on his way to college. And when 9-11 happened, he chucked it. He just, he chucked his whole life and joined the Marine Corps, enlisted. And another boy out there, um, one of the Harchie brothers, same thing. He's now, a, he's now an MD, uh, but he, he, he was accepted into um, a scholarship program and, and decided it, he, he could have gone in and, and probably been an officer, but he went in as enlisted. And, uh, you know, he's got a story about driving some general around through the middle of Fallujah in the middle of a battle at night. And, uh, you know, this stuff, I think people a lot, including me, 
People like to think our military is always given the best, most protective stuff. And I'm halfway through this book uh, by Ruben Gallegos, uh, Gallegos um, and he talks about these Amtraks. They were essentially an aluminum bathtub with uh, a caterpillar tracks, <laughs> and and essentially a service rifle could practically go right, sail right. They had no protection, and. Uh, Early on in, I guess, in Operation Iraqi Freedom, they didn't have those V-hauled vehicles that were IED, a little bit better. But these guys were essentially using Vietnam-era equipment. Right. You're not wrong. And I hear that a lot uh, from stories of, you know, um, those who've come back. And uh, and I think that especially being a reserve unit – and me being a, a reservist too, you know, we we did not have that top of the line yeah. equipment. Yeah. Go ahead, Stephen. I think at this point, if it's okay, Kelly, absolutely. Let's let's bring Stephen in. So, yeah. Stephen, if I understand correctly, uh, you not only um, prepped them for deployment. You were with Lima Company. You were the master sergeant there at Rickenbacker, where they trained, and you did training with them which I understand was a little colorful. According to Ruben's book, uh, they brought in local Ohio people to play the role of Iraqi citizens. And, uh, and, uh, and so there was some mock training, if you will. Go ahead and, and let us know about your career and, and the training and your experience. Okay, well, I'm a strange bird. I was accepted into the Marine Corps Reserve February 5th, 1985, as a 39-year-old corporal, and the Marine Corps saved my emotional life, and it gave me what I had wanted since February of 1971, specifically membership in an organization with a credible identity. And people say thank you for your service, which is kind, but um, it was willingly given and did a lot for me, even now, quite frankly. Well, uh if you will, talk a little bit about what the makeup was of Lima Company. I'm a little blown away, <clears throat> I have to say, when I'm reading about some of these fellows from Montana or or, or the far-flung places, how would they do a reservist, um, a, a few weeks training, and then the monthly uh, uh, training in Columbus, Ohio, if they live so far away? How do how did that work? Well, what happens after you go through boot camp, and then if you're infantry or combat arms, you go to the School of Infantry in North Carolina, and that's about two months training. And then we enhanced it with uh, annual training goals for the reservists, rifle qualification, that kind of thing. Okay. Hmm. So the 185, would you have them there doing training, all of them at once, or was it uh, – it, by it, platoon or how well, it do depends. It? Now, if we're going for rifle qualification, everybody goes. Okay, that, that kind. So of you thing. had occasions where you had 185 people, and you're the master sergeant. Uh, the numbers are I'm unsure of, but they had it under 185 when they went to Iraq. Okay, because ma- Marine reservists from other units were attached to Lima Company. Okay, so where did you where did where did you do the training here in I, I guess in Ohio? Well, we went to Camp Atterbury, Indiana, okay. to do the rifle qualification. Okay, uh, one time they had a 
military operations in urban terrain event at the old Ohio Penitentiary. Mm. Wow. Yeah, which was... Before it was bulldozed. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, would these reservists from far-flung places then, I mean, they would fly in to Columbus and then... No, they would uh, go ahead and drill with their unit. If you're with a Montana unit, you drill in Montana. Okay. Yeah, we have a limit on how far you can come. Okay, anyway. okay. Even though they were part of Lima Company, this is where a civilian like me doesn't understand. Well, they, they were added later. Oh, okay. Well, if we went to uh, 29 Palms, California for the uh, ILOC, initial oh, location of combat or whatever it is, I forget the acronym, they were attached to them there. And in that uh, book that I gave you is a, the full company and all the names. Okay. And what was your role in terms of, I guess, equipping, uh, training, et cetera? Were you the orchestrator of all of that? I mean, uh, no, none okay. of it at all. I had the billet as training chief, but that uh, included a lot of community outreach. And then during the tragedies, the casualty assistance call officer. So in a reserve unit, can you explain a little bit about, um, th- th- this sounds terribly critical and it's not meant to be, but the Lima Company, before we get to the events, the very dramatic events that, that took place during uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, where all these lives were sacrificed uh, for us, for the American people, um, Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, the the makeup, the the kind of community that a reservist unit has, because it's different than active duty, and some of the deficits, if you will. This 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 book uh, they called us lucky by Galegas that I'm that I'm in the middle of about Lima Company about his experience anyway. Um, mentions that reserve units are a little bit heavy on talented NCOs, uh, that there tends to be a lot of sergeants and corporals and not so many officers. Right. And could you talk a a little bit about the culture of active duty versus reserves and how Lima Company, when they got deployed, you know, some of the reserve units had rather, I don't want to, this sounds critical. It's, I, I don't know how else to say it, but they had maybe less risky assignments. Well, Lima Company was really put into uh, mm-hmm. like what an active duty unit would mm-hmm. have done. I mean, they were put into uh, sweeps of homes. They're knocking on home uh, front doors, searching every room. They're breaking padlocks and storage buildings. They're uh, they're being assigned to initiate combat mm-hmm. with the insurgents. Uh, all of these missions, which are really rough missions, it's not the kind of thing that me as a civilian would think weekend warriors would necessarily be assigned to. And, and that sounds disparaging. I don't mean it to be, but could you explain that? Well, again, they went to 29 Palms for about six, seven weeks of training before they even moved to Iraq. They left here January 5th, I think, of 05, went out uh, there for their advanced training. All Marines have the basics in terms of a school of infantry, if you're infantry. If you're not, 
then uh, you go to uh, an abbreviated course. Theoretically, every Marine is a rifleman first. So I could get a clerk, a piccolo player, an airline mechanic, and myself, and we could do our diamond, we could do our echelon, that kind of thing. Okay. And what would you say about the, I guess, the proficiency, I guess is the most respectful way to put it. Um, Gelagos in his book talks about this uh, viewpoint that some have that reservists are second stringers. He used that word, second stringers. What is the proficiency difference between active duty and reservists if there is a difference? I wouldn't say there's a difference, not in a combat situation. We're not going to send Marines out who are not trained for their mission. Okay. So for people looking at a reserve unit with this level of KIA, the most, the most terrible loss of life since the barracks bombing right. in Lebanon, some might make some kind of knee-jerk conclusion that, oh, well, maybe they were ill-prepared in some way. And you would say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay. With an exclamation point. Because we need to get that right out yep. on the table, right? Because I think a lot of people right. might think that. Well, we have an obligation to the Marine, too, as an organization. Okay. That that they will be properly absolutely. trained. And will be properly So equipped. they can accomplish the mission. The mission, then the Marines. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Um, when, when they're, go uh, ahead, they're, they're coming together once a month. That, right. Yeah. How do they stay close as a unit when they're only seeing each other so very few times? They manage, and I'm sure that yeah. they, within today's uh, social media, they can it helps, stay doesn't in contact. It? That's true, yeah, because yeah. they're not seeing it. As you brought to the forefront, why you joined the Marines, you needed yeah. that community, where a reservist may not have that, but once a month, or, you know, of yeah, course, well, all the training and such like that. When they're 18, they come in for yeah. reasons different from mine. For sure. Yeah. For a good point. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah. You had 20 years on them. Uh, but it, it just, it, it just dawned on me going, yeah, you're, you're seeing these guys and women once a month, uh, but the, the intense training and, and such, but just that they, st- you know, they still are a unit though. Yeah. They're still a unit. And, you know, I, I did that for 10 years, and um, I would tell you that I felt incredibly, you know, trained and comfortable with mm-hmm. my reservists, and yeah, I think, uh, and prepared, and okay. they were your family. Yeah. I, I think you bring up a good point, Norm, that I think we need, I don't know if that still lingers, but we need to dispel that, that they're yeah. the second stringers. Right. Right, and it, that Ruben in his book, yeah. this uh, they called us lucky, which is really an interesting book. Mm-hmm. I'm halfway. I, I just got it yesterday. People, don't hate on me too bad. <laughs> I read half a book in one day, so That's pretty know, good. not not bad. Yeah. And I didn't want to. I wouldn't have gotten up early enough to make this show. It, it, I could have plowed through and read the whole thing, but then I I wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, at any rate, uh, at, at Steve Stevens' suggestion, uh, Master Sergeant Walter's suggestion, I, I got that book, and I'm, I'm so glad I did. I'm learning a lot. And um, w- it would encourage people to go to the website, Eyes of Freedom website, and learn some more. Um, so, Stephen, take us through uh, the lead-up to deploy. So they were deployed in March of 2005. Right. 
if you can kind of tick off in those last couple of months, they must have undergone. So my brother was in Desert Storm, and he went out to 29 Palms, uh, the the General Patton Desert area. And at the last, this is typical Marine, so Stephen will think this is funny. But so he trains his whole career in M60 tanks, right? The Marine tanks. Mm -hmm. Two months before he's going to fly to Saudi and hook up, you know, and, and, and deploy for Desert Storm, somebody at the Army and the Marines got together and scratches their chin and says, you know what, why don't we give the Marines the M1? So he goes from, I mean, this is like going from an F-4 Phantom to an F-18 or something. He's, he's going from one tank to the other, has 60 days to learn this tank. And of course, they get Army reject tanks. So when he gets over there, he's the he's the uh, forward air controller. But yet, there's no uh, radio kit welded onto the hull. So in t- typical <laughs> Marine Corps fashion, he that finds some local Saudi guy who can weld at this uh, marshalling area, and and puts this kit on right or wrong. So at any rate, John told me in his deployment how frenetic it is, and so. So, Stephen, if you can walk us through for Lima Company, here's these guys. Uh, Ruben's book, his mother is telling him, uh, tell him about your bad legs so you don't have to go. His dad is telling him, go AWOL back to Mexico. You know, I'm sure you are getting tons of people coming to you. Hey, top, you know, what do I need to do for this and that in insurance forms and next of kin and can, can you tell us about what that had to be like? Okay, in terms of preparation, I was pleased to announce that um, my police friends, who are also lawyers, came out to the Reserve Center a few times and did a one-on-one with each Marine. Wow. Mm-hmm. I doubt that that's done yeah. on active duty. It's usually, here, sign that for them, move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those uh, lawyers wound up executing a lot of those wills wow yeah so they they were squared away with the legalities yeah and and you you right. that was something you orchestrated and then well yeah had that yeah and i told them you come out and i'll get you free lunch so we, <laughs> they came out and we took a break and ate lunch and there weren't too many people in there and i said i pointed out notice here how the highest ranking marines are eating last because it's a junior marines who are going to accomplish the mission. If I get a meal, fine. If I don't, nobody cares. And that's the way it ought to be. Yep. Mm-hmm. So um, were these were these Marines, uh, in your opinion, you know, did they go over there with all the kit that they needed? They were not short anything? I would have no way of knowing. My intuitive feeling is you can't send Marines out to combat ill-equipped. Okay. So they got, they got everything active duty guys got. Okay. That, I would believe that strongly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we get that on the table. So if you, so they go, if, if I understand the, 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 the timetable correctly, they deploy to Iraq in March of 2005. This is after those incredible Marine and army battles in Fallujah and Ramadi. So they're flying to Hadita Dam, right. which is in Anbar province. Ramadi's the capital of that province. 
uh, Fallujah's a city. As it, that's where Ryan Miller was killed in in Fallujah with an IED, and so they're going into this white hot area. It had been the previous. It, it and it still was not yeah, the, under control. The Sunni Triangle. The Sunni Triangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Al Anbar province, province, uh, about Syria. Okay. And Syrian were coming over to aid in their resistance of us. So they were called Lucky Lima for what reason? Uh, because uh, I guess the news people liked alliteration. <coughs> Uh, they had uh, many operations um, through the last part of March and April had no casualties. When I first heard the term Lucky Lima, I thought, what? i never heard that before. Because yeah. the history of Lima Company is not filled with good fortune, all the way back to World War II, for example. And then all of a sudden, the casualties began. So Lima in World War II, you're referring to their service – at Iwo Jima and Okinawa. Iwo Jima. They didn't make Okinawa. Oh, I thought they did. Sorry. They landed on February 19th, 1945, and walked uh, aboard Red Beach or Blue Beach 2, turned north to the quarry area. Twelve hours later, they were down to 17 effectives. Everybody else had been killed or wounded. Out of? Well, it was a 185-man company, but the battalion... I had 550 casualties out of a 700-man battalion. So the 3rd Battalion, 25th Regiment, was always finished the first 12 hours. Unbelievable. So Lucky Lima, as you say, doesn't quite. Uh, It's almost a curse to be called that. An insult. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, it wasn't because we had had no casualties, but. Yeah, they thought they thought this is a pristine unit. They they're they're you know so far. Nobody has a twisted ankle or anything. No, nothing. For the yeah. first couple months. Hmm. Yeah. And then uh, May of 2005 rolls around. Right. Now, I've read a little bit in the book, but why don't you take us through that? Okay, May of 2005, May 8, 2005, I'm uh, at home having my in-laws over for dinner, and I get a call that you need to come to the reserve center right away. It uh, turns out to be at our first casualty, uh, Corporal Dustin Durga. So we went to the home of Stephanie Durga, his mother, and gave him the news. Not only did she lose her son, but Sunday, May 8th of 05, was Mother's Day. So I ruined Mother's Day for the rest of her life. Yeah. Hmm. So that was one of your duties, was to be part of the well, along with a chaplain, I suppose, you, you would... Well, a commissioned officer or warrant officer delivers the uh, notification of the death. Okay. Then he backs off, turns it over to me, and I'm the one who works with the family in terms of um, getting the body back to Dover Air Force Base, Port Columbus, the transfer of the uh, remains to the funeral home, the viewing the funeral, and the internment. Okay. There was, was that due to an IED? Was that this? No, he was shot in the back. Okay. Mm -hmm. In the death house that you see. And then there was an IED that took out an Amtrak that same month? Is that? No, that was, well, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Dixon. Mm -hmm. Dixon. And um, Davids, I think, was in that. 
Okay. And, yeah. Yeah. I, and I know you probably considered it an honor to do what you did to have oh, to absolutely. talk to family. But how did you? How do you do that? Well, as you a know? as a fifty year plus, mm-hmm. uh, in all those years on the PD, I learned how to talk to people. I yeah. uh, do what to say when, and more importantly, when to shut up. Yeah. And then uh, about six weeks after the internment, I would get a blank card, and on the left side, I would write. I pray that our Heavenly Father will assuage the grief of your bereavement and leave you with nothing but cherished memories of those loved and lost. Sincerely and respectfully, A. Lincoln. From the Bixby letter, if you've seen the Saving Private Ryan. Then I would write on the opposite side, uh, Dear so-and-so, I thought that Mr. Lincoln's words would be of comfort to you. Now, a younger man wouldn't have been able to do that, Mm -hmm. wouldn't have thought to not judging him out of context. Mm, sure. And uh, I made the uh, death notification on Lance Corporal Aaron Reed. His mother still has that card. Mm. But again, August 3rd was the tragedy. Talk, talk go, go ahead and, and take okay. us through that, yeah. Stephen. Since uh, Mar- well, May 10th, 1967, two weeks before I left for Vietnam, at the Air Force, I opened a diary, and every day since then, I have made a notation. Here's the notation from August 3rd of 2005. It's about three pages. Ready? Yes, sir. Monica woke me at 0055 message to call the chief warrant officer. I did so. He, we've had an Amtrak hit a mine. It looks pretty bad. Showered, dressed, bid adieu to my sweet, loving, ever-so-supporting wife. Arrived at the home trading center at 0120. First sergeant was creating nine packages for casualty assistance call officers. I slept two hours up at 0358. At 0557, I called Gunnery Sergeant Grube. She ordered three more Purple Hearts, hadn't heard back. We've got 14 names inbound, PRCs on nine. Marines began arriving at 0813. Corporal Cruder is among them. I spoke with his wife, Christina, Sunday, saw their infant son. Oh, God. Have but three local notifications. Cincinnati has three. Dayton, Indiana, Colorado. This makes the tragedy manageable. Finally found 849 Alts Road in Chillicothe as bad luck would have it. A pasture gathering was about to commence as we arrived. Sarah Duvall was weak-kneed on the lawn in tears. Lieutenant Colonel Force escorted her on to the porch. We uh, stayed 90 minutes. I handled the Red Cross call so her brother could be returned from Kosovo. En route to the Reserve Center, I handled sympathy calls from Maria Durant, Ann Allred, Karen Kish, media queries from Preston, McCormick, Ivanic, and many others. Laura Crum called in tears. So did the mother of Corporal Cruder. David is KIA, but she hadn't heard. Major had a staff meeting. No more contact as Captain Logan from Marine Forces Reserves en route to coordinate all media. God, what a day. To the airport then to handle the remains of Corporal Williams, 
All went well. Sergeant Kermode and the traffic control unit escorted us to Sheddinger's. Master Sergeant Casuccio and I inspected the body. Jeb Phillips of the dispatch met to clarify the number of KIAs get 325 emblem for tomorrow's dispatch. Officer Mullen called on behalf of uh, Officer Malloy, Brinklinger, and Flynn, whose sons were all with Lima. Mike Coleman called me directly, as did other media. Spoke with Captain Logan. He supports what I've done with the media. May call press conference tomorrow. Liz of the scheduling office called to say she's in receipt of our invitation to Vice President Cheney, but to keep that quiet. Message for the deputy chief on cell that no uh, sons of officers were part of that tragedy. Call from Colonel Rector, Linda, my sister, and Leah Davidson. So that was your basic uh, 22-hour day. Notification of those in the tragedy, and then the remains of a Marine, a Corporal Williams, who had been killed July 28th. Yeah, so dramatic pause there. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little lost for words yeah. to react to that. Yeah, um, I needed to make sure I recovered the facts and the feelings. Yeah, every. every you know, I, I'm with Brett. I don't know how you do that job, uh, but somebody has to do it. And thank God you can. And, and did as, yeah. excuse me, quote unquote, the old man. Oh yes. They, you were the perfect person. All right, exactly. Yeah, somebody you younger. Know. Yeah. Even now, I maintain contact with the parents with whom I worked at that time: Sarah Duvall, uh, Jim and Kathy Bernholtz, uh Sarah Kudurga. Uh, and a lot of these men had very young children. I mean, Corporal Williams had two that I know of. Yeah, didn't uh, Kreuter? Croyder had the infant that I held. Yeah. Um, Corp, uh, Corporal Lyons had a child. Because these yeah. are these are you know young men in the prime, young, yeah. prime of their lives mm-hmm. with uh, it's young just like wives a, and young babies. A widening circle of rip ripping, ripples of tragedy. It, yeah. And I and I I see the impact um, that it's had on so many lives as I've traveled across the country. Um, I know with Cruder specifically, uh, NASCAR racer Ryan Blaney. Sounds think, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he had he won the Pepsi 400, and okay. he had Cruder's name. I think they went to high school together. Wow. And Mason, and he had his name on his windshield, and he won that race. I thought wow. that was appropriate, right? Yeah. Um, That's awesome. But you know, out in Sioux Falls, I had a. Uh, uh, Navy corpsman come and said he went to every single funeral of the fallen. So it's just, it's incredible that, like Master Sean Walter said, the, the ripple effect with family and those who serve that have, that still relive that, that day and those experiences when they come out to our exhibit. So that leads us into the after effects of war. And that is a primary mission of the Eyes of Freedom and your personal work, Master Sergeant. Right, and uh, Silent Battle. Say that again, please. Si- silent Battle. Silent Battle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, the, the sculpture, sculpture yes. mm-hmm. is also, That's, that battle is being fought yeah. 
if you will, silently. That doesn't mean without noise, but within their mind, right. within the very complex, you yes. know, thought processes where somebody appears to be under control, have it together, and then they have an episode. Right. The, the suicide rate among veterans of all wars was uh, 10 or 15 a day. Now, I get a lot of underlying circumstances of that. But. Yeah. Well, survivor's guilt is, is a horrible thing. And, you know, not only do or do we see um, mental health crises that, that happen at almost every event that we have, um, with the Gary Sinise Foundation, they actually have trained counselors at every one of their events, which kind of speaks to, you know. So when something happens yeah, in real yeah, time. Yeah, they're right, right there. there. They're right there to help assist them. Oh. Um, so I've totally taken that to the next level. Um, and then the other thing that, that you know, we don't talk about enough is the secondary PTSD with the families and the wives and the children that walk on eggshells um, because of the experiences uh, the, uh, with their loved ones that come home from such hell. Yeah, I think the author of that book, I keep referencing, uh, his marriage did not survive. I mean, when he came home, he got married, but it was it wasn't the war like that like wasn't his deployment that broke up the marriage. It was the after effects, his PTSD, his, his attitudes, his experiences and their marriages inability to sustain, to, to sustain that. Thankfully, I think he says in the book, they're friends today, but, um, well, the, 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 the struggle is, is with purpose with them trying to find their purpose, their purpose and life. that's what's missing. And it's, you know, it, it the careers that are when you transition uh, from military service into the civilian world, they they don't align necessarily, yeah. um, and and we got to get better about that. I guess, as a civilian myself, that you know, a civilian looks at their career or they look at their life achievements, and we all think civilian mindset thinks, okay, I'm a young person. As I get older and older, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to apex uh, my career later in life. Like I'll do my greatest things when I'm in my 50s or maybe my 60s even, right? Those will be the high points of my life. The things with the, the biggest challenges, the biggest obstacles to overcome and my, busy, my, my success stories will be things I do later in life. And it just occurs to me that when you're a soldier, the, the most traumatic things, the most meaningful things, maybe not for all of them, but for a, a goodly number of them might be their military experience. And they're going through that 100%. before they have the maturity, if you will, or right. the seasoning mm -hmm. that Sergeant had they're going through that at a very young age. And don't they say men, 20, <laughs> women yeah. can always laugh yeah. at this statistic, yeah. but men's brains aren't even fully developed until they're 26. You got right. people who are 18, 19, 20 years old. 57, it's not developed. Yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say my age, but I would say I'm still a project too. But yeah, so the, the, the mental toolkit, yeah. It's just not there for everybody. Right. You know, and, and, and it's been compromised. Their yeah. family backgrounds might be pretty rough too. Mm -hmm. Right. 
I, if I understand correctly from podcasts that I've heard, and, and I think Ohio Means Jobs is trying to help with that disconnect. They're, they're prioritizing um, uh, employment opportunities and trying to get away from that. Okay, you're in the military, so you'd be a great cop. Okay, you know, or okay, you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you know, Teacher. security, you're, security, whatever. Yeah, is yeah, that, okay, take it, take yeah. it, yeah, take it three steps beyond that. And maybe yeah. this person could do that because of the skills. Because we don't, as civilians, we don't understand when, you, uh, from what I gather, uh, when um, someone walks out of the military and they give, they did this, 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 and this, it doesn't translate into, I don't know what that means. Exactly. You know, we think, okay, military logistics. Well, yes, and. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Much more than that, because we don't understand what the jobs you did mean in civilian right. life. And I think we're doing better, but it it has a long way to go, though, too. Yeah, I, Ohio's definitely do that. And I, I know there's a group here that's just been formed called the Ohio Veteran Coalition. It's being uh, spearheaded by a gentleman, uh, a Army veteran, A.J. Orr, who's working with a lot of state lobbyists and and uh, um, folks in in the political arena to kind of help with those veteran resources. We do a poll. I created this donation box of a poll that I take out on the road with me and people can vote by donation on what do they think like the most needs are in the veteran community. And, you know, we obviously we've got mental health, but we got um, uh, employment and we've got um, housing yeah. and then education. And 90% of the donations are in the mental health space but every once in a while you'll have someone say no it's everyone it's every it's mm-hmm. actually every single one but yeah there's we're seeing more uh, in across all of the states because i get the beauty of traveling and yeah. meeting with these you know folks that are trying to make a difference there but yeah they uh they're starting to get it that yeah we got to do a better job of engaging these folks in the in the workforce yeah and, and that's on the employer's shoulders yeah they, they have to they have to make that effort to you want to employ a veteran, make those extra steps to understand what that veteran has to offer versus just. Yeah, it's it, and also uh, colleges and universities and trade schools. So mm-hmm. I'll tell a little story about a Marine recon guy that uh, I was friends with from my church. He came back, and I don't know if he deployed or not. He didn't talk about it much, and I didn't press. All I knew is he enrolled at Ohio State. Not not to pick on Ohio State, but Ohio State's a pretty wealthy place. They have a lot of resources that they probably don't even know that they should, you know, they, they should expand for veterans. And his story was he came back, and as you know, uh, military have this uh, – I don't know what they call it now, but I'll call it GI Bill. Yeah. Right. They have education benefits. Mm -hmm. Right. So he comes back, enrolls at Ohio State, gets halfway through a semester or a third way through, but he he's getting part through. And he has he has mental problems. He has PTSD. He has something going on where he can't complete his studies that semester. And I'm immediately being the legal beagle I am, right? I'm not a lawyer, but I got a law degree. I'm immediately thinking, oh my God, he just wasted part of his GI Bill, you know, because they're not going to get, they're not going to let him come back for free, right? For that semester that he dropped out, right? So I call Ohio State 
and I get the runaround, right? Oh, talk to this guy, talk to this lady, talk to that department. And basically after a few circles, there's nothing anybody can do. They don't understand why somebody would drop out and how, how they, as a pretty wealthy institution, yeah. I'm like, come on guys. Yeah. Okay. He, he served his country. Right. He, he, he blew half a semester when, when, and if he's ready to come back to Ohio state, could you give him, give him the chair, give, give him, that, give him that know. semester, give, yeah. give, you know, instead of crossing it off his benefits list, like, mm -hmm. okay, you burned up one semester. Now that's gone forever. For people who have served our country, can't you mm -hmm. recognize PTSD? Can't you be humane about this? And I think somebody at Ohio State, if you explained it to them, probably would yeah. change the policy, right? Because it's 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 a tiny thing. It's right. a it's it's not really going to cost them anything for another person to sit in yeah. a chair. And you can go opposite that. I'll, I'll let you. But yeah, we need yeah, those things yeah, done my, my, for my, our yeah, our veterans. And my wife teaches at Wright State. Wright State is complete opposite. They super serve mm -hmm. right, Pat. It, it, that's that's what they do, and and the allowances that you just talked about are there for them at Wright, Wright State University. That's outstanding. So I think there are universities that really recognize that, and that is top priority for Wright State. Yeah, it, it, a lot of colleges. We're it, you know we're going out west three or four times uh, at the end of the year just to some colleges, and we're being brought in by these veteran service offices with the colleges. I think Ohio State, you know, I have a son who's a senior there. Uh, they, they operate in silos, you know, yeah. so you're not wrong. They're just, I, I think the intentions are good, um, and I think they are getting better about it, and at least kind of what I'm seeing on the surface and through conversations, but they're just so big. Yeah, right? they're so right. big. They're so right. big. Yeah. It's a little easier, right, at Wright Pat and yeah, some of it, these it, smaller it, schools. It is. It I is, felt like sure. I was calling the IRS about yeah, how I right, <laughs> right. I bet. It was unbelievable yeah. bureaucracy. Yeah. But um, it's the same in corporate too, right? Yeah. You got these big right. companies where veterans come in mm -hmm. and they've got problems and they don't necessarily align with all of that those employee handbooks and those HR laws and right. you know all that stuff. I mean, it's a lot different coming out of the the military environment. So they got to find a way. They got to find a way. Exactly. There has You've to be to some humanity extended mm -hmm. to these people because, yep. you know, they literally, you know, there's no greater love, they say, right, mm -hmm. than, than put, putting your life on the line for your fellow service members as well as your country. No greater love, right? Mm -hmm. And we got to love them back as a society. And so talk a little bit, Stephen and Kelly, about this event on October the 7th in Grove City, what it is, and is the public invited, and, and how, how can the public support Eyes of Freedom? All right. Uh, March 14, 2012, I visited Iwo Jima. I climbed Mount Suribachi and stood on the place of the iconic flag raising I mentioned that to my friends at the library who suggested a series of battle symposiums, which we began. This is a continuation of that, minus two and a half years for COVID. On uh, October 7th at the Grove City Library on Broadway at 10 a.m., we are showing a film entitled Combat Diaries. This is film taken by the Lima Company Marines during their time in Iraq. Some of the Marines that you see were killed later. Uh, certainly, 
So okay. we're going to uh, try and reconnect that, and uh, I'll let Kelly explain what she's doing. Well, we actually have um, we we have the original exhibit that uh, was in the state house of the eight and a half six foot paintings. That's the forty two foot RNL trailer that takes us around. Uh, but then we have a, a three fourth scaled size replica of sorts that goes to outdoor exhibits. Uh, we can do fairs, festivals. You know, they mm. won't get damaged and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Storms, hail, you name it. Yeah. Uh, but then we actually have um, some oil canvas paintings of our fallen, and that can be set up on easels. That gives us some flexibility to take to uh, events like this. That um, in which we're going to do at the Grip City Library yeah. with. And on September thirteenth, nineteen eighty one. The city of Boston erected a memorial to its Vietnam fallen, 40-some names. But at the base is inscribed, if my death is forgotten, I have died in vain. And as long as I'm alive and Kelly alive, these shall not have died in vain. Outstanding. Absolutely. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about uh, police affairs? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, affairs might be a little. <laughs> <laughs> come, come on. <laughs> or as old Sergeant Malloy once asked me rhetorically. I walked right into that, you didn't did, I? You did, didn't you? Sergeant Malloy said, Steve, where can I come to work sober, broke, and hoardy, and of all those problems, take care of in one shift? <laughs> <laughs> rhetorically yeah rhetor- of course of course so i i have to i have to ask uh a little bit sure so it wasn't i think columbus's i mean who 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 wants who wants to actually have this in your head but it, it's important to talk about i think in 2021 columbus had its high water mark for homicides and for felonious assault and for felonious assaults and 2022 wasn't a heck of a lot better. It was a little better. Where are we now? It, 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 are we on track for a lessening of the violence, or are we about at the 2021, 2022 level? Well, we've had 112 mm-hmm. homicides so far that we're investigating. Uh, two women were murdered at the uh, D&D bar on South High. Another man is in critical condition. There just seems to be no concept of the preciousness of human life. If you disagree with me, I'll shoot you. Yeah. And you saw that yeah. with yeah. A, the 13 year old at Easton yeah. killing the 15 year old at Easton. Uh, in my day, a gun was a water pistol. Right. Bring it to school and you get paddled. Right. But, right. So sad. And well, the department is 217 officers short. Mm-hmm. Wow. So the a patrol force that you could. Uh, do some suppression at street level for intermittent periods of time, just doesn't have the staffing to do that. They're busy uh, chalking out bodies and uh, doing the scene tape. And I believe Columbus is the only city in America that has both a mothers of murdered children group and a fathers of murdered children group. Well, Stephen, you are a remarkable person. So, let me explain because he's too modest to, to probably bring this up. But Stephen, I think in 1980, right. was th- he was <laughs> the chairman of the local ACLU as a Columbus police officer 
active, you know, full-time police officer. He was also very victims rights oriented. And, and so, and, and you received a lot of criticism for that. You might have been the only police officer ever. I don't know, maybe ever, ever who, yeah. who, who chaired a, an ACLU chapter the ACLU is different today than it was back then. Right. Uh, we don't necessarily need to. Uh, we've done that on our show here many times. But 40 years ago, the ACLU was very different than it is today. Let's just leave it at that so we don't get into a, a, side, a side discussion. But I think it says something about you and your dedication to the community here that not only would you arrest somebody and seek their prosecution, you would also seek the truth. You would also seek true yeah. justice, the actual facts, not not a a knee jerk, uh, either racist or uh, misogynist kind of conclusion about what happened. You would determine the facts, and were very logical. And that speaks. I think that is probably why the police today so admire you. Is that you? You, you had a brain that could encompass the entire panoply of law enforcement in a way that I think is remarkable. Well, uh, it wasn't encouraged by I'm sure the executive was. level. But here's sure a quick story. It's April of 1982. I am the shift sergeant on the 18th and Main Precinct, my choice, working 3.30 to 11.30. So about 7 o'clock that night, they put out a strong arm robbery, Suspect described as male, black, and he's 20s. Well, that's most of the people out there. But I drive by the one man and eh, maybe kind of, sort of. So I stop the cruiser, get out. Sir, I'd like to talk to you. I need you to put your hands on the trunk. He complies. But I don't pat. I squeeze. Uh, and I squeeze the revolver in his pocket. Step back, Drew. Called for backup. He's still cooperative. The backup comes take him to the detective bureau for processing. I joined him later and say, said, you know, uh, James, if you wanted to, you could have really hurt me back there, maybe even killed me. His response, I wouldn't hurt you, Sarge. The word was out. The Sarge is all right. Four years later, he murdered one of our officers. But I wouldn't hurt you, Sarge. So all the uh, flack I got about walking a beat and going into pool halls. Could have saved my life. Yeah, you were doing community policing before, yeah, they, called, exactly. before they called it community exactly. policing. Yeah. You yeah. knew your beat, you knew your area, yeah. and well, you knew it on a granular mm -hmm. detail level. Yeah, that was a perfect example. But in 1970, our new chief, Dwight W. Joseph, put out a, a blue book for pride, progress, and service. And in that, he wrote... The police are the people, and the people are the police. Mm -hmm. Kind of encouraging that. Hmm. Fantastic. Yep. So we see a dynamic happening. You know, I've been in Columbus. I'm, I'm not from Columbus, but I've been here in town long enough, 35 years or so, to see great buildups of, of treasure and effort and on the part of Chambers of Commerce and the city council and the mayor's of both parties and of, of doing wonderful things in Columbus, such as the city center, which, which is now gone, right? The city center mall, which, which was a, a 
Beautiful. For people who don't remember, yeah. it mm-hmm. was just an it incredibly beautiful, beautiful yeah, it place. Was. It was. Parking was free. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. And the mm-hmm. and the 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 well to do and and the and the impoverished alike mixed together in a very peaceful way mm-hmm. for many years at City Center mm-hmm. until there was a gang shooting, I think it was, yeah. at the escalator. And, and and pretty much the nice ladies in the suburbs said, well, that that's it. Yeah, well, that's it. I'm not coming right. downtown anymore. And and that's how quickly – and that, I don't – had nothing to do with bad policing. But that's an example where if criminal activity happens, how quickly it can crater something that was millions and mil- tens, hundreds of millions of dollars – with uh, you know Marshalls and Jacobs and uh, Jacobsons and all of these wonderful stores, right? Just gone, yeah. gone in in just a couple of years. It it turned into you know vape shops and nothing wrong with vape shops, but it it became it wasn't what it used to be, and it now it's to and be. now it's a grass parking lot or yeah. whatever it is, a concert yeah. area where they hold uh, events. Events. Well, and and it's, it'll be interesting to see how. And East, the Eastons of the world, right. Easton is right. now having those right. issues. Yeah. Yes. Just as you brought up, yes. how does how does an or you know a, yeah. a, a, a and, large, Polaris, and Polaris and Polaris right? Yeah. You know how yeah. does it survive? Yeah. the 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 bad PR that Northland Mall went through, and now that's gone. Right, right. right. The, the city center's gone. I worry about the short north, uh, Master Sergeant. The the short north. So I know a young man that rehabbed a home there. He and his wife live there. They're afraid to go out after dark now. He's right off High Street on one. You know, he bought one of those homes, hundreds. I think maybe a half a million dollar home, right? And then he rehabbed it. <laughs> so I don't know what he's got in it now. Maybe seven hundred fifty thousand. Who knows? And he and he rents half of it out, and the other half he and his wife live in. And you just think for a, a fellow like that who are they're thinking of having children the neighborhood now is 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 completely different than it was just two or three years ago well hopefully we can return it to some semblance of sanity it's it seems to be and i don't want to criticize the police but this is this is very sensitive to talk about but the current milieu that the police operate in is such that I don't know what they call it. Uh, This happened in Ferguson, Missouri. It happened in Chicago. It's happened in a lot of cities. Seems to be happening here in Columbus where the police are reticent, let's say, to be proactive because the downside could be that a jury sends an officer to prison. Well, uh, I mean, for, for, for... for something that maybe is misunderstood by the the jury. Well, to encapsulate, one of my uh, friends who's a deputy chief, recently retired, the story was that an officer one came up to him and said, Chief, if I ever get in a shootout, I hope I'm the one who gets killed so my wife and family will be protected versus me going to jail. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a real concern about that. Absolutely. This. So you, you take your runs and then – do something else until you get the next run, which might be outlining a body or stringing scene tape. But in terms of scratching and digging. Yeah. I used to go to the short north 
one of the mayors of Columbus, I, it wasn't Mike Coleman. I can't think of the name of the guy. Lashutka? No, it's a different, different mayor. But he owned a bar or a, or a jazz club or something downtown on, mm. in the short north. And I used to go there. Jerry something. Uh, Jerry Hammond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Jerry yeah. Hammond. He was a yeah. city councilman. City councilman, yeah. sorry, not mayor. That's he, right. He had a, a jazz club downtown. I used to yeah. I, I used to go to Major Court, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Used to go there. And it was a wonderful place. And I remember the police walking that. They were on the sidewalk on bicycles. They were thick through that area. Right. Because let's, let's face it, there were drug addicts and wild kinds of people. You know, panhandlers. Yeah, and and they wanted to make sure that the friction between suburbanites and inner city folks that it went okay, and 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 it seemed to work. And the and the area thrived. They built the new convention right. center. Contrast and, that with that tragedy we had recently, where one man got in a fight with another. His friend sucker punched a man. He fell. Was dead. Mm-hmm. The pre- police presence would have prevented that. Exactly. Maybe just moved it. Exactly. So I we're concerned about that. We've talked a lot about that on our show here about, you know, is Columbus going to end up being another one of those donut cities like Cleveland where the area in the middle is burned out right. and people are afraid to live there and we're all going to run out to the live suburbs. in Licking in Delaware County now. Possibility, yeah. especially with, you know, uh, Intel coming in. And yeah. yeah, and all a lot of, of that. opportunity there, yeah. yeah. Well, Brett, yeah. uh, what do you? What, any further questions before no, we wrap up? I think we got it. It's, this was been. This was moving. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for yeah, rem- thank you so re- much. helping us remember and bringing new light. Well, thank you. To things that. we we didn't know about. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Yep. Anytime. Thank you, anytime. Kelly. Yeah. You bet. You bet. Yeah. Thank you, Sergeant. Yeah. We will have um, links to everything we talked about in the show notes. By the way, to- Stephen's a sergeant twice over. PD sergeant, oh yeah, well, yeah. and Marine Corps that's master right. sergeant. So uh, that's right. Sergeant works both ways. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, if you need links, I mean, if you need to, you know, find out, it, make sure you go to this event in October. Yeah, we'll, we'll have uh, you know a, a notation of that in the show notes. But everything we talked about, we'll we'll have easy reference. In Kelly, the, show notes. the website yeah. once more. Could you give us the website? Yep, it's uh, eyesoffreedom.org. Okay, Excellent. great. We're on all the social media platforms as well. Super. super. And we just friended. Uh, Eyes of Freedom as a podcast. Cool. So we, we're, we're plugged in there. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. Perfect, yeah. perfect. Yeah. And uh, yeah, everything on uh, commonsenseohioshow.com. Thanks for joining us. Thank yeah. you. And come back. We'd yeah. like you to come oh, back. Yeah. Anytime. Come back. I need about 10 minutes notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's five more minutes of prep than you, we get. Uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. Appreciate it.